2: Hey, hey, friends. Welcome, welcome back to the show. Today in the guest chair, I have Agel Wade. Agel spent the past 12 plus years working for companies like Toys R Us, Party City, and Madame Alexander, just to name a few. She has climbed up and across the ladder in the toy world, starting out as a designer, later gaining three toy patents and eventually becoming a VP at a toy company. But after building and mentoring a diverse and talented team towards success, she had the vision to do the same with newcomers to the toy industry. With that thought, Ajelle combined her industry knowledge, inspirational mantras, and extra passionate toy talks to create the now highly rated toy podcast, Making It In The Toy Industry. Today, Ajelle is known industry-wide as the toy coach. She joyfully works as a consultant for popular IPs and toy companies of all sizes, and her online course, Toy Creators Academy, empowers newbies in the toy industry with step-by-step guidance, downloadable worksheets, and group coaching. In today's episode, we chat about everything from toys to evergreen webinars. I learned so much, and I hope you do too. Let's get right into it. Okay, okay,
3: Ajelle, welcome, welcome to the guest chair. Thank you for having me, Nakella. I'm excited.
2: I'm excited to talk with you. You have such an interesting background. I mean, I've never met a toy coach. I didn't even know it existed. So take us back. I understand that you actually went to college to study, was it toy making?
3: (laughs) Toy (laughs) design. Toy
2: design. (laughs) Toy design. (laughs) How did you even know this major existed and what made you gravitate to that.
3: Well, I didn't know it existed. I actually first studied visual exhibition design. Okay. So every design I did, I made it look like it was for kids because I just loved kids growing up. I wanted to be a teacher. I just like love kids. So I remember once I designed this exhibit for the science museum, it was a school yeah. project yeah. and it looked like a twist, a giant twister. It's like <laughs> a big white tent where you would come in and you put your hand on places and lights would shine different twister colors all over what? the tent. (laughs) Yeah, it was just a cool design. And um, so one of my teachers saw that all of my designs were kid focused. And he was like, you know, there's a toy design program here. And I said, that doesn't sound like a real major. And he said, no, no, it's a real thing. You can have a good career. They make good money there. And I was like, I don't believe you. So I looked it up and I met the person who founded the program and she took a liking to me and I just worked really hard to get accepted. And then I got in. What was your plan
2: for that program? Like, what what did you want to do after?
3: I mean, I really didn't know. Like, I mean, I thought the idea of being a toy designer was cool, but mm-hmm. I always have had a lot of imposter syndrome. So I was like, I can't get there. And then once I got in the program, oh, everybody was so talented. I mean, they were so talented and You know, I hoped that one day I would work for a big toy company and have a big job designing toys and developing toys. But I didn't think it was really going to happen because I just felt like everyone was so much better than me. Oh,
2: no. When did you snap out of that? I know you have to because of how fabulous, how, you know, bomb you are today. You're just like so amazing
3: doing all of this. I know you had to snap out of that. What did it take? Yeah, two things. It was this thing called Winterum. So when you go through the FIT program, the first half, you're it's like the first semester. You're developing a lot of toy ideas, and you're making what they call concept boards for those ideas. Okay. And then after the whole first semester, they have this thing called Winterum, where everybody else is home for the holidays, and you go back to school for <laughs> for weeks, <laughs> and you redo all of the work that you did in the first semester. What? Yeah, it's a very tumultuous time. That's when a lot of people leave the program. That's when a lot of people get kicked out. Like it's a whole thing. Um, that winter was really where I got to just hyper focus on my ability to draw my ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, because the, I, I couldn't illustrate what I wanted to make. And I remember the first drawing that I did where I was like, oh my gosh, this is like really good. I was like, this looks like a character and he's cute. And I was so proud of myself. And I was like, I can do this. Like, I don't know how I got here, but I can do this. So ever since that one drawing, and it wasn't even that good of a toy idea, but the drawing was so good. Um, ever since then, I was like, okay, I can do this. I have my own style. It doesn't look like everybody else's, and but it still is colorful and toyetic and round and cute. And like, I have it. You know, now
2: you have worked since then for amazing, well-known toy brands like Toys R Us, You Party City, and what's it, Madame Alexander? Madame Alexander. Madame Alexander. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. I just was twisting over the Jamaican and American pronunciation. Ah! (laughs) I was like, which one do I want to say? (laughs) Madame. Mm -hmm. So. As you were there, are you actually designing toys that they then go off and sell? So you're kind of like an entrepreneur. Is that what that was?
3: Oh, interesting. I've heard that term before, but I didn't know that that's what it applied to. Well, you know, when I think
2: about you designing something for a brand that they then get to use and sell, it takes on a whole new meaning than like the, the typical employee. How did you uh, feel about it?
3: Well, you know... Okay. So when I teach people about the toy industry, I teach there's three different paths, the corporate path, the entrepreneur path, and the inventor path. Okay. The corporate path is the one I was on. And it was the only one where you do design something that somebody else owns. Mm -hmm. And there's a sadness to that, but also there's this liberation because you don't have to put the money behind it to make it real. Mm -hmm. And you almost get this guarantee that... Your product is gonna go to market in some way, shape, or form, even if it's gonna be changed a little bit or, you know, it's gonna be cost reduced, it's gonna make it to market. And you have a whole team of people helping make it the best possible product that it can be. So, on one hand, where you're like, oh, I don't own this design. On the other hand, you're like, I work for this major toy company and this product is in, you know, 2000 targets. (laughs) You're like, you know, you're like, well, I mean, that's pretty cool. It's worth it. That is pretty cool. What
2: are the two other paths? Can you tell us a little bit more about those?
3: Yeah, so the toy inventor path is one where you are an independent and you're developing product ideas to sell the ideas. So that path is all about licensing. So toy oh, okay. inventors meet with companies like Mattel and Hasbro and Spinmaster and they pitch them ideas for licensing. Got and it. Hasbro, Spin Master, Mattel will develop the idea and give the inventor a portion of this, the wholesale sales. And the entrepreneur path is one where you're developing a product to sell. So that's like you're direct to consumer market, you're developing a specific toy, you're going to sell it to a specific person or to a retailer. Got it. That was really insightful. I did not know about
2: these different pathways. I think when I think about toy companies, the naive part of me just would think, They just, Mattel just, there's just a Mattel guy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. He makes toys,
2: right? You don't think about the individual designer. And you worked for companies. You were on the, I guess you would call it corporate path for Mm -hmm. over 12 years. When did you decide to shift and make a pivot from that path to entrepreneurship?
3: It was in the pandemic. So I guess the pandemic happened and you you stayed home and I realized how much time I wasn't at home And that kind of just changed something in me where I started to feel like, what am I really working for? And, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. if I was in a higher earning position, I wouldn't have felt that way. I mean, I was earning well, but like, maybe if it was like an astronomical amount, I would have been like, (laughs) screw the time. I'm just going to keep earning, you know, but I was just earning enough that once I started staying home and I saw Mm -hmm. how much more money I had, I was like, wait a second. Oh, I think I'm earning this big six-figure salary, which I am. But most of it's going and getting me to work. And that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because where were you based right before the pandemic hit? I was in New York, in New York City, in okay. Washington Heights. Ooh, okay. And I worked in a town called um, Chestnut Ridge, which is in New York, but you have to cross the bridge to get there. So Ooh. tolls, you know, tolls, car in the city, life in the city. It's just didn't make a ton of sense. And I'm like, I'm working so hard for this big, awesome salary and this big job. And so much of that money is just going to like New York state. (laughs) Why, (laughs) you know? So I remember thinking like, okay, there's gotta be a better way. I guess I could have gone to a job closer to my house. Maybe that would have been a better plan, but I just remember thinking there's gotta be a better way. Maybe there's something else I can do. And people started reaching out to me, asking me if I could help them with their toys because of my podcast. And I was like, No, no, no! I have a full time job. I don't need to do freelance work. I'm not. No, thank you. I'm too busy. (laughs) Um, But then one day, somebody reached out to me, and they were big enough, and they had the budget enough that what they were offering, I just looked at, you know, the cost difference, and I'm like, Well, actually, I think this might make sense. Like it's, you know, I'd, I'd take a bit of a pay cut, but you know, a lot less responsibility and I could focus Mm -hmm. on building whatever business I wanted to build and figure out like what I'm going to do next while I do this one client or two clients. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, I think I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to try to do this and see what happens.
2: So that person reached out to you to be a consulting client or to give you another job. okay?
3: To help them develop a
2: specific product. Got it, got it, got it. And yeah. at that point, had you dabbled at all in any kind of side work? You you mentioned the podcast. So how long had you been doing the podcast at that point?
3: So I had started the podcast in January, and I'd left my job in July. Mm-hmm. Um, the podcast, I'd run it by my boss to make sure you know everything would be okay. You know that I'm doing a podcast about the toy industry, and he's like, "Yeah, just don't you know let out any of our secrets." And I was like, "Don't mm-hmm. worry, it's all about my." perception and how I do the toy industry. Um, so I I had the podcast January and I left in July and it just, it just gave me this vision for if I'm, I was building an audience and people were starting to know who I was and opportunities just kind of opened up. And I felt like I wasn't going to be able to really explore them if I was tied down to a job especially in the midst of a pandemic, because then you had to relearn how to be a leader when no one was in person. That just took a lot. Like I couldn't, there was no way I'd be able to build a business like this and figure that out at the same time. That's
2: really interesting. I'm also wondering if you felt that it would be hard to not have a conflict of interest now that people were coming to you to make their own toys and you work at a toy producer.
3: Well, I would just tell them, no, I have a full time job. I can't work with you. And then I would direct them to my friends to that that okay. were freelancers. So I'd be like, no, no, I can't help you. But here's this safety consultant or here's this product developer. And I would just connect people all the time because mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to do that. That's not my goal. <laughs> right.
2: So now you start taking on clients and yeah. what happens next as you're developing this business? What happens
3: next? So before I took on clients, I had always been listening to this podcast. You might know it. Um, online Marketing Made Easy. Oh, yes. Amy yeah. Porterfield. Amy yes. Porterfield. So I've been listening to her podcast and there was one day where she said something and I realized that, oh, I could be doing online stuff for what I know in the toy industry. Like it just clicked. I had been listening to our podcast because I had a side hustle of a costume company that I've been doing for years. Okay. And I was trying to figure out how to market it online. So that's why I was listening. But then one day I was like, wait, why am I trying to do this for something new? Why don't I just try to do this for what I know about toys? So the podcast was already going at this point. And I finally get that light bulb moment. It took me so long. <laughs> and then... To um, connect those dots. Yeah. Like, you, I just didn't see myself as that way or that person. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, when that happened, it changed my mind. So once I got the client, I knew that I was going to build an education company and that this was going to kind of be my starting point so that I could keep things going, just pay my bills, just, you know, and then build that company in the background. I can totally relate to that starting yeah. the podcast, and while you're like,
2: "Let me explore what business do I want to do," and it's like, yeah. "Duh, the podcast!" Right? You're <laughs> is, like, "What is taking you someplace?" Like, pay yeah. attention. Um,
3: who was your target audience for that podcast? It was people who want to invent toys and either license them or sell them, and didn't mm-hmm. know where to start. So mm-hmm. it's people outside of the toy industry. Okay, got it. And you know, we had
2: a guest on this podcast recently, the creator of the, I think you might have seen her. Afro the Unicorn? Afro Unicorn. Mm-hmm. Um, so I learned, we learned here in Hustle Pro World more about the whole licensing space. But I'm sure you just have this wealth of information across the board about toys. And I can imagine that when you see someone, talking about what you need to know. Like people just gravitate to you, I'm sure.
3: It's funny because I think in the early days of my business, it was a lot easier for me to do a live and say, we're going to talk about this. And I would just start talking. And I think as <laughs> I d- go- going... did it start out as lives
2: or like plan scripted or, you know, outline no, oh, episodes? No. They <laughs> were,
3: oh, oh, well, my episodes. Oh, I'm not Your even episodes. talking about my episodes. My oh, episodes okay. have were scripted because okay. I was like- <laughs> like I am type A I want it to be perfect <laughs> so they were I recorded my first episode like 20 times like I what? was a little bit neurotic so oh my gosh <laughs> I wanted it to be perfect
2: yes, yes
3: then like 12 people listened but it's okay <laughs> <laughs> But now it's one of my most listened episodes. But back then, like, literally 12 people. Yeah, it was embarrassing. (laughs) But I remember early on, like, I would have Instagram lives just Uh to, you know, connect with the audience. And I would be like, yeah, we're just going to talk about this, like a 101 question uh, about the toy industry. And these days, you know, I find myself saying, what should I talk about? What should I talk about? And I almost forget that there are new people coming in every day that need me to just talk about the 101. I don't have to keep going up. Like my audience is the new people, but also the people who haven't quite figured everything out yet. So you're either Mm -hmm. new or you're in your first like five years and you're still figuring it out. And that's the people that I can help the most. Yes. Um, That's
2: such an important reminder for me as well, because even the 101 stuff, things change, new tools come up, shortcuts better ways to do things now we have ai like everything Uh is shifting how you do those one-on-one steps so just constantly you know supporting people in that level is not a bad thing yeah so with your podcast are you also taking advertising and monetizing the podcast or is it mainly kind of like a lead magnet that's bringing people into your consulting
3: business I am trying to monetize and advertise the podcast. I'm trying. But you know what? I am not as hard of a salesman on that. I'm like, hey, if you want to promote yourself on this podcast and reach, like, thousands of people in the toy industry, like, you can. It's like one email. Like, I just, like, don't. I just don't really. I don't know. There's something... I don't know. I get a little nervous about it, but Mm -hmm. I do have sponsors like Hasbro has been a sponsor. PSI has been a sponsor. Yeah. Yeah, So I've had sponsors, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not every week. So you'll hear me on my podcast say, this is a weekly podcast brought to you by thetoycoach.com. And if I ever say someone else's name, then that means I have sponsors. (laughs) Okay.
2: So what's really the roadmap for taking an idea from this concept to actually being on a shelf?
3: Yeah. So in my program i outline this as not nine modules and it's this the roadmap is the same so step one um, you want to do your market research identify the market understand the market what are things currently selling for for whatever category you think you want to innovate um, then step two is really refining your idea because once you do that research you're going to mm-hmm. probably say oh i thought that i could make this plush like 69.99 And I'm seeing that all of the plush available are $49.99. So I need to revise this idea, reduce from features, maybe make it smaller, figure something out to make it more affordable, right? Step three is figuring out your toy path. Um, So inventor, entrepreneur, corporate, understanding what all those mean financially and time investment wise. So you can choose the best path for you right now. Um, and then step four is branding. So regardless of what path you're picking, you either have to brand your inventor studio, brand your toy brand, or brand yourself to get a job in corporate. And step five uh, is all about developing the product. So this is like the process, like sketching, um, hiring a freelancer, or working with someone in another department if it's corporate. Mm-hmm. Um, then And it goes all the way to the sample creation and the product development So that whole, that whole process. Um, and usually that's very US based, that product development step. Then step six is where you go into the factory. You're working with the factory because you have that first sample. You have your specification packet from the previous step. You have your bill of materials from the previous step. And this factory is going to tell you. This is what this product will cost based on your mm-hmm. sample, based on your specification drawings, based on you know your bill of materials, your BOM. Okay. Um, once you get that pricing and you figure out that pricing, you are going to move on to marketing. So that's where you're hopefully you do this all throughout. But. This is the order I put it in my program. Um, Mm -hmm. So the marketing, like building your email list, getting people's uh, contact information to let them know about your upcoming launch. And all the while, the factory will be finalizing and safety testing your product, right? Um, Then in my program, I actually split the last few steps. So... Um, depending on what path you choose, uh, module eight, as it is in my program. Uh, but the next step could be for um, the inventors. So that's where you have to learn about licensing. Like what is toy licensing? How do I start doing it? Building your toy company contact list. Uh, what do you say when you reach out to them? Preparing your pitch materials for the product that you create when you do reach out uh, to those toy companies. And then alternatively, if you're going the entrepreneur path and you're selling that product, you want to uh, prepare your pitch materials for a toy trade show. Choose a toy trade show to attend um, and start preparing your product to sell wholesale. So you need to get inventory. Mm -hmm. That's like a quick, rough overview of the process.
2: If you're a small business owner, this is for you. Running a business is just plain hard. Endless to-do lists, employees to take care of, and your ever-present bottom line. So first of all, kudos to you for staying on top of it. And now I want to tell you about Gusto. Gusto builds an easier and more affordable way to manage payroll, benefits, and more. They help over 300,000 businesses by taking the pain out of tasks like automated payroll tax filing, direct deposit, health insurance administration, 401k, onboarding tools, you name it. Gusto makes it easy. And they really care about the small business owners they work with. Their support team is attentive and helpful. And since money can be tight sometimes, you'll even get three months free. Just go to gusto.com SHP and start setting Up your business today. You'll see what I mean when I say easy. Again, that's three months of free payroll at gusto.com slash shp. How do you even find factories and design studios to begin this process?
3: Well, I mean you join Toy Creators Academy, but (laughs) (laughs) but but no, you a lot of people can be found on LinkedIn these days. Like Mm -hmm. So many people can be found on LinkedIn. All you need is one connection in the toy industry. And then you'll start to see like who everybody is connected to. Like there are factories that I've identified because of people I'm connected to in Mattel, because I can yeah. see who they're connected to. And then those factories list on LinkedIn, like what kind of products they do. Now, the important mm. thing is you need to vet the factories and yeah. vet the freelancers you're working with. So just right. knowing like things to ask them, how many years they've been open, what certifications do they have when you're talking to factories? And freelancers, like, you, will they sign your work for hire agreement? Mm. You know, how long will it take for them to deliver the product? Um, and freelancers, just choosing the right freelancer based on what you're going to create. Don't choose someone who does play sets to design your plush. You know, that's really important. I love the fact that you are an
2: example of what I love so much about podcasting and why I encourage so many people to consider starting one. Now, it's not for everyone, but it is such a powerful platform. Um, if there's something that you want to be hired for, is there something that you want to be known for? You need to start letting people know what you do and showing them that you have this knowledge by getting up there and doing your episodes each and every week or whichever cadence works for you because that's Mm -hmm. how they can vet you. Now, when you search for the toy coach, when people search your name, like so much information comes up and I mean, who are you going to go with? Someone who just has a website who who says, hey, I can do all this or someone who you can listen to them talk about it. You can Mm -hmm. vet for yourself. Hey, I like what she's saying. I like her knowledge base. I like, you know, she sounds like she knows what she's doing. Now let me go and really test that my my assumption, but it is way easier to get hired, especially if you're doing a consulting or client based business. So I love that you show that with the steps that you've taken since leaving corporate. So are you also developing your own toys
3: I'm not, not right now. So I find it to be a little bit of a conflict of interest because I work with so many students and they tell me all of their ideas. So I have to try very hard to, you know, I want to nurture their ideas and I don't want to be influenced in the creation of something of my own. That's very good of you, because
2: I know that does get dicey and anyone can be like, hey, I gave you that idea. (laughs) Yeah, it's really. Yeah, I can see how that could be a conflict of interest.
3: Well, there's also there aren't many people that understand the toy industry that coach that aren't developing their own products. Mm -hmm. So. I think the benefit of working with me is that I have invented, I have patents, I am an inventor, but I'm not currently developing anything in the toy industry on my own right now Mm -hmm. so that you can feel, you know, I'm in this for you. It's not like I'm also looking and saying like, oh, I want to develop that idea. I've partnered with students on ideas but like if they already had an idea and i'm like let me help you and let's partner on this but i'm not out for myself which i think makes a huge difference in how they learn and how they can feel comfortable sharing with me
2: that is really really thoughtful of you but also very smart because you're right i I didn't think about that but if you are developing something and you're going to someone who's also developing things you can get a little nervous like hey is this person going to uh you know steal my ideas or Mm -hmm. how's this going to (laughs) work
3: So I'm so glad you shared that. I have ideas for like toy coach adult things, like desktop things, like that would motivate you as a toy developer. Yes. So maybe those things one day, those like adult desk toys. I'm curious to know more about
2: the patents that you have. Can you share what those are for? and How did that process work?
3: So this actually happened at my very first toy job. I was part of the new product development team And my whole job was to come up with ways that we could innovate a certain category. So Mm -hmm. the CMO would come up to me and say, Hey, this brand is doing something in this category. And they have like four feet of space at Walmart. We need to steal their space. (laughs) I'd be (laughs) like, okay, yeah, let me work on that. And I would just come up with things to compete with other toy companies. So one of my first inventions was called zip screens. And Mm -hmm. it was like, you know, screen printing is normally like you have a a paint tube and you have a screen that you have to like snap into place and you have to squeeze the paint over. And then there's this giant squeegee that you have to squeeze the paint across the screen and all that. So I worked with my team and we developed a one-time use screen printing packet where the squeegee was actually built into the packet. So you would tear open the packet and then just squeegee right from the packet. And the screen itself was um, like a peel and stick. So you would just stick the screen onto the clothing and you would just squeegee and then you would throw the squeegee and the paint away because it was a one-time use. And then that was it. It was like, instead of the screen printing for like 15 minutes, it was like 10 seconds. It was crazy. <laughs> it was so cool.
2: Is that patent yours or is, does it still, is it like jointly owned between you and the company?
3: Yes. So it is jointly owned. My name is on it, which I'm grateful every day. I don't know that toy companies still do that, uh, yeah. but I am on it with like six other people from the company. Okay very very cool yeah so back to what
2: you're currently doing before you left what were the steps you took to just get ready to kind of make that leap i mean you've been working in corporate for so many years i'm sure that was a big transition so what did you do mentally and financially to prepare
3: financially i would say if someone's listening to this trying to learn for themselves I didn't have to do this by choice but the pandemic forced me to save. So I would say <laughs> do 6 months of saving. Like don't yeah. go outside, don't order out, <laughs> you know. That cuz I looked at my Replicate bank account and I was like the experience yeah. of the pandemic. Yes, <laughs> I looked at my bank account and I was like, "Oh, I could I could take a little sabbatical right now if I wanted to." You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that is how financially I prepared. Okay. Um Emotionally, I asked my then boyfriend, now husband, and I said, Hey, how would you feel if I just like did the toy coach um full time? And he was like, What do you mean? Like, what does that even mean? And I was like, I don't really know. <laughs> but <laughs> I was like, not really sure. But I'm pretty sure I could make enough money to cover rent. Would you support me if like something happened and I can't? And he was like, Okay. <laughs> I was like, sure. <laughs> No, he was like, if anybody could do it, you could do it. And he was very supportive. Yeah.
2: And how has it been since? I mean, um, there are ebbs and flows in business. A lot of people were saving during the pandemic. They had a lot more money to invest in stuff and they've scaled Mm -hmm. back. So how has this
3: been for you? Girl, it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> I said this on Amy's podcast too. It's a roller coaster. Yes. Um, it's been an emotional roller coaster. So I was looking at my year to date, my earnings and stuff. It has mm-hmm. been going up. I mm-hmm. have been very conservative with how much I invest into ads. So okay. unfortunately, I didn't have the big surge that everybody had in the pandemic. I started profitable and I just kind of stayed there. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, this year and the last year have not been bad because I didn't Over invest probably in ads, which would have probably had me at this like really high pandemic year. And now this year would have been lower. But for me, it's been like a, I'm still on the incline of my roller coaster, Mm -hmm. but every day, you know, it's emotional because, you know, you don't know if you're going to be on that incline. You're like, am I going to make money this month? I don't know. know? (laughs) Am I going to dip? Am I going to go up? Like, but overall, if I look at the past three years, it is an (laughs) incline. So we're doing good.
2: And what are your plans to mitigate that? Because I know it's not a great feeling when you have a variable income. Right. And I mean, it's yes. part of the entrepreneurship life. But at the yeah. same time, we can do things like have another income stream to just help with that um, and have a little bit of consistency. So what's your approach?
3: Yeah. I mean, a lot of things. So I do occasionally take on one-on-one clients Mm -hmm. and those clients will be a little bit longer term. So it might be three months. It might be six months. And that gives me kind of a base where I know I'm having this base come in and it will cover needs, worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I'm sure you do this. You look back at your business and you look at your launches and you say what worked And I just make sure to repeat the things that work just enough to get Mm -hmm. what I need. And then I continue to try other things and see if things flow other ways. Um, That's what I do right now.
2: Got it. And when you say launches, what does that look like in your business? Are you doing webinars, for example, and then launching your course?
3: Yes. So I am doing webinars. I'm now starting to do them monthly right now. They're like Mm -hmm. every other month, Um, but I'm working on doing them monthly. I used to have a very uh, open closed system for my course. Like the doors are open and the doors are closed. That was extremely stressful. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) I've changed. (laughs) Changed What what, what was stressful about it? It was because when the doors opened, you had this flood of money, which was great. Um, But the pressure to sell was uh, so stressful. I mean, Mm. I would have, and it was fun, but it was also just like, am I going to make this happen this time? I don't know. And then um, when the doors closed, I have a very hands-on course. So it used to be a 12-week program. Now it's a 12-month program. But when Mm -hmm. it was a 12-week program, I was in meetings with them every week. I would have one-on-one calls with some of them. And it was just very hands-on, so I couldn't do anything else. So Mm. after the three months would be up, also would be... My money would also be up. So I would be (laughs) like, uh... Time for another um, (laughs) launch. Yeah, like I would be rushing to get clients, or I would, it was just too, and I also do pitch events at the end of my course. So Mm -hmm. I do these pitch events at a very low cost to my students, and it's kind of like a, a wash financially, but it helps them grow. What do you mean by pitch event? So I'll invite like Hasbro and Mattel and Spin Master to come review Ooh, nice. the pitches of my students and uh-huh. I'll invite retailers and I did it virtually at first so I could keep it super cheap for them. Originally it was like twenty five dollars, like so okay. cheap. Um so that wasn't about making money, it was just about keeping things like paying myself for my time, right? Like I would be doing that at the end of the launch while my business is like, you better make some more money or else <laughs> we- <laughs> my business is like, hello, we're still spending money. So yeah. um yeah. So that was just stressful. And then okay. I wasn't able to update the course the way I wanted to and take care of my students like I wanted to. So I switched to the Evergreen model. So it's open okay. all the time. Uh, The difference now is I'll have like monthly specials or monthly Mm -hmm. bonuses. And that's when I'll do my launches. And it's just, you know, occasionally if I do that, it's like a little injection of people and students. But I'm trying to figure out how I can just make it more stable. And I have an accountant and they meet with me and they say, oh, your sales are looking stable. And I'm like, thank you. I'm working on it. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um, So
3: what is an
2: evergreen model for your business? What does that look like?
3: So the doors for Toy Creators Academy are always open. Um, you can join anytime, depending on when you join, you might get a little bit better bonuses than other times. Um, But what we do is from the date that you join, you have 12 months in our uh, private Facebook group. So every month I'm going into this Facebook group with answering questions and teaching advanced trainings, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you have access for 12 months. So after that first free 12 months, you can pay to continue access if you want to continue access, or if you get an item licensed or placed in a store, you get free access. So it's like a little, incentive to like get the stuff done you know oh, i want you to get cool. it done yeah you know yes because that is
2: an issue with programs too sometimes it's really hard to get people to get out of that coasting phase of all right this will always be here and actually yes. take the
3: action yeah you got to take it yeah so that's my model now okay
2: and how do you go about having sales regularly for this evergreen model Mm -hmm. one of the things that course creators often talk about when they decide to go evergreen and amy talks about this as well is you know there's a lower conversion rate there's a lower um opt-in rate to the course than when you're doing like a a really robust launch so what's been the experience for you how do you keep the sales going when it's evergreen
3: for me i have to disagree oh really that's great yeah No, I think my sales have been the same. I I would say almost exactly the same uh, because like revenue wise, maybe a little bit more even. Mm. I think that the launch model was a bit aggressive for my audience, like the constant emails. (laughs) And I think think it kind (laughs) of did a detriment to my brand a little bit, like the launch and also having to do it twice a year was I think a lot. Um, so I'm testing a lot of things. I'm going to be real with you. I don't really know what's working. <laughs> Something, <laughs> something's working. I have the data, but I don't, it's chaos. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I think that's I'm real. Running I appreciate your honesty. It, uh, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's scary. That's scary. But I'm like, I know people listen to the podcast for a long time. And then they'll be like, I thought I could do this without joining your course, but Two years later, I decided. So, like, it's just like... It's like a long funnel into the course. It's a long road, but I'm figuring it out. I, you know, I don't know what else to say.
2: (laughs) So other than the podcast, are you creating content on Instagram or TikTok and through that content, inviting people... Yes. into your world. And and then that is what helps them convert. Like, do you do a follow-up email sequence? Cause I'm genuinely curious for myself because I'm getting ready to go evergreen with my course. Oh. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm thinking through like, what do I want to do to consistently remind people like, Hey, I have this course. I have this podcast course. I have this Instagram course I have, you know? Yeah.
3: Yeah. I would say I definitely think seasonal like webinars are the Uh way to go i want to say launch because it's not a launch but a seasonal or a topical webinar a month is a great yeah yeah. like so ai i'm doing one this month about ai uh just something that people are talking about right now that they want to hear about from you and get them in one room and essentially do a little mini launch and you can even turn it into a podcast episode later so you have this Mm. content right um Emails I struggle with with Evergreen. I feel like the email addresses they give they don't check as much. So I think that's an interesting, um, yeah, observation. And what's interesting is the people that join in Evergreen tend to almost already know they want to join before they get into the funnel because I mm-hmm. see them join the funnel and they join like in the masterclass, like they join immediately. And I'm like, you've known this. You know that <laughs> you knew about this. This you isn't already. new to you.
2: Yeah, you, they are aware yeah. of you. They've listened to some episodes. Yeah. So again, why the podcast can be helpful. Um, but the podcast also, just to you know, put that disclaimer out there. Yeah, it's helpful for getting your message across, but it should not be a sales, salesy thing. Like you are providing value. <laughs> You're you got to provide value. You got to provide some value. <laughs>
3: I know. I agree. We should provide value a hundred percent, but I got to say, let me tell you what I've learned right now. Okay. Okay. I, I'm, I'm I learned I'm open to learn girl. Yes. I learn. I give away too much of my podcast. I'm not going to give away less. <laughs> I'm not because I, it'll be, you know, I want it to be useful, mm-hmm. but I need to talk about myself and my students successes more. I yes, realize in the podcast. I can relate to that. Yep. Right. Because what I have is I have people emailing me and they're saying, Oh, i I contacted that retailer that you told me I should contact in your latest podcast episode, and they're taking in my product. And I just want to know, like, after I talked to them, they said I should join your course. Like, can you tell me more about your course? And I'm like, <laughs> you already know about my course. You need to stop. <laughs> well, I'm like, I know you know. Oh, Maybe they skipped over that part. They didn't. No, they didn't. (laughs) And because I met this one in person and I told him about it. So no, but like this happens all the time. Like you give so much in your podcast, but not enough of explaining why the course is valuable. So I'm now experimenting with when I'm in the podcast within the content itself, I'm saying, You know, people in Toy Creators Academy know that I teach this and that. If you want to join, go here. So -hmm. this interjecting of talking about your course in the middle of all your content, I think is going to be a game changer for me. So people join. Yes. Yes, that's true. Um, You are
2: not alone in feeling like sometimes you either may forget or just don't find it comfortable to consistently talk about how you can help people, what they can buy from you, where they can go to learn from you. And what I'm continually learning is every time you feel like you're talking too much, you're probably not. You probably need to up it like a thousand percent <laughs> more. <laughs> yes. yes. It's, it's hard though. It's hard. Listen, you're preaching to the choir. It just, sometimes <laughs> it just feels like, don't you guys know this? I said it back in March. They don't. You know? <laughs>
3: But you know what I remind myself? Everybody's yeah. getting so much content at all, them all the time. Yes, all the and time. And we have lives. we have having kids. We're yeah. having, buying houses. We're right. busy, you know? And so you have to... I want I actually, before this call, was thinking, I need to set up like a mini launch sequence for my yeah. webinar okay. to that text people. Because mm-hmm. what if they miss their email? This webinar is happening in six days. Yeah. I need to send them a quick text like, hey, you want to learn about AI? Here's the link, you know? Yes.
2: And with your monthly webinars, are you doing those live? Because to me, that's kind of a fusion, live a fusion. and evergreen, yes. okay? Because yes. the evergreen I'm talking about is like pre-recorded webinar. So maybe that's so, why let that's me why you, you. Let me still no. get the same amount of sales because the pre-recorded no, 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 is no. what I'm talking about. But okay, girl, <laughs> enlighten me. Enlighten. Let me get me. ready. I'm open like, to learning. No. Yes.
3: So I would say October was probably my biggest month And I did do a live webinar, a live Mm -hmm. webinar then. But what I do with my live webinars is instead of doing them like you might do them like five times for a live launch, I'll Uh do them like two or three times. Honestly, I'm just doing this one two times because three was too much. Uh And then you turn it evergreen. So my vision is by the end of the year of a year of doing this, I will have an evergreen for every month. And then I can promote a different evergreen every single month, like a different, um, masterclass yeah. okay. so that it feels more topical. And it's not like I'm telling you, come see the same masterclass all yeah. year round. I do yeah. have one core masterclass, but for example, October, I did spooky mistakes, new toy and game creators make. Mm-hmm. And for December, I'm doing slaying your toy idea with AI. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I love it i love right? it so yes. like you know and then every year it becomes evergreen but it becomes evergreen that fits in with what's going on in the season yes. this is my plan i you like know? this
2: right so do you after you do like your second live once you feel like oh this is um you know yeah. i got a rhythm down do you just yeah. take that and make it yeah.
3: the pre-recorded yes. or do you then record a pre-recorded no. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. And I intentionally go in and say things and make sure that I'm talking in a way that it can be evergreen okay. or I'll edit it after the fact to like cut that out it. certain things. Yes. But sometimes you leave in the chat part when you talk to people there because mm-hmm. like that just makes it feel more, you know, like this is how she is with people. Yeah. You can see how I oh, am yeah, with people. Yeah, that is interesting. You know, yeah. It's not a trick. It says pre recorded, but it gives them this vibe. And leaving a chat box in the chat, like even when it's pre recorded, I have a box Mm -hmm. so they can put in questions and I get questions all the time. And usually when I answer those questions, people are like, Oh great, I'm gonna sign up right now. So like I'll email an answer back. So it's Ah. like I don't know. Yeah.
2: Which service do you use for your pre recorded and your chat feature?
3: easy webinar, and I wish oh, I'd okay. found out about them sooner. Like, what was I, I doing? I recently
2: signed up for them, because again, I'm getting ready to do this. So, Girl, so, so I love this conversation. Did. And <laughs> for all of y'all out there who, <laughs> you know, are doing webinars or you're doing master classes and you want to pivot like I do in 2024 I hope this is helpful for you because I feel like a lot of people we came up in the webinar culture where we thought we only had to do a core one right like with this core webinar and every time we're doing it live so it's different because we're live and so we're saying you know different things but is essentially the core presentation with the core slides and we might yeah. take the title but it's a core presentation but i like yeah. this approach as well and i'm going to test it out actually that's what i was planning to do but this kind of confirms it for me like this would be a uh-huh. cool way to you know make it more helpful like to have different topics yes. but that all come back to for me it's yeah. podcasting
3: Yes, because it's like, what are people concerned about in January with mm-hmm. podcasting? What are they concerned yeah. about in March? Like, it's different. It is. It totally and is. And for me, I'm toys. I'm like, people in December are concerned about sales. Like, so yeah. that's, I don't know. Yeah.
2: Love it. Love it. So I hope you guys are finding this helpful. I know I yeah. am. And, you know, <laughs> this this year, it's all about like, it's almost kind of like I'm having a free I don't know what to call it, but I love being able to learn and show you guys that I'm learning in real time. Like I never stop learning and I don't bring people on because I'm some like expert in anything. I am genuinely interested in their path and there's something I can take and you can take from every one of our guests that can help you in your business.
3: Mm-hmm. Same. Me too. So
2: before we <laughs> jump into the lightning round. Um, oh yeah, okay. I know. Right. <laughs> time has flown. Cause this is so interesting, but I know you encourage your students to focus on getting their items placed in their toys placed in like the local mom and pop store first, versus going right after trying to get it to Target.
3: You told me that. Oh, I I didn't. Oh my gosh, I did. Okay. (laughs) I'm a mess. All right. Anyway. Why do you
2: do that? I think I know, but tell us, tell us why.
3: Yeah, because so many people want to go to Target and Walmart because they think like that's how they're going to make it big. And yeah, mm-hmm. it could be. But yeah. if um, Walmart doesn't have to put your product out just because they bought it, so it might not get on shelves. Oh. And if it doesn't, there's this thing called chargebacks where they will literally send back your product and I've charge of back for it. Right. So if you took out a line of credit to make mm-hmm. this product, so you could sell it to Walmart and because their quantities are so big, that might be 20,000 units, you know, then you're going to, where are you going to sell 20,000 units? Mm-hmm. So when that happens to you, but you already have a base of retailers, specialty retailers, or even direct to consumers that buy from you, mm-hmm. at least you could say, okay, not great that we got a charge back from Walmart, but I have channels to sell this to. Mm-hmm. Plus, like when you're first starting out, it's easier to sell to specialty retailers. Their requirements are much more chill. They don't call, <laughs> they don't require you to like package your toy in a certain way with a certain mm-hmm. label. They don't have like certain like DCs, which are distribution centers that you have to send your product to, like they're just chill, you know, and it's just more of a relationship building and it will help you get further faster. So Mm.
2: chargebacks remind me of when I did like seasonal retail when, when yeah, I was working for Bloomingdale's and, you know, you get excited about the commission, but when people return, they will take that back out of your check. I'm like, wait a, yep. th- wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not my fault that they returned it. Okay. <laughs> like, yes. alone.
3: <laughs> there there are toy this. companies, there are toy companies that have, uh, there are any companies that have those cards inside the products that says do not return to store and they're trying to avoid chargebacks. Yeah. Yeah. So they would rather take care of it directly with you than you going back to the store
2: that makes so much sense. and It's unfortunate. Like, I'm glad you're giving people that tip though. I hope that people are really listening in. And Mm -hmm. are you ever surprised by how many people want to develop a toy? Like when I learned about you, I was just like, wow, how many people out there want to develop toys? Like, wow, this is niche to me.
3: I wish I had thought that because it was challenging at first. <laughs> <laughs> I did not think that. I was like, who doesn't want to develop a toy? Right, right, right. <laughs> that was my mind. Um, <laughs> I didn't but think this, that at all. Yeah. It's
2: <laughs> because you know where these people are. Yeah. This is your target audience, not mine. So, yeah. I mean, I'm trying.
3: But no, I didn't think that at all. I actually was surprised at how challenging it is to find these people early because, mm-hmm. like, People usually come to me when they're two years in, they've already made these mistakes and they're trying to fix them, which yeah. sucks because financially I'm like, listen, this is what my program costs. And I know yeah. you've already spent a lot of money, but if you don't want to waste another $5,000, 10000 you need this process yeah. and you could pay consultant and learn all this stuff. It's going to cost you thousands and thousands right. to learn everything in this program. So, Or you could... Keep
2: spending money marketing just a product with a bad strategy or, you know, bad development, you know, and it not go anywhere. And you're wondering why it's not going anywhere.
3: Yeah. And the toy industry, I just have to say, is so much relationships. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. it's so um, almost like a little it's a niche. It's like a little click. Uh, So, you need to get in the click if you want to be in the stores. You got to come to our trade shows. You got to get into the community. You got to know people. And that is a part of what my program helps with. And the second thing that I think about when I
2: think about all right, who's developing toys? What are they thinking? I'm wondering if, do people come to you very internally focused? Like they are developing toys that they always wanted, or they come up with an idea and they're like, oh, everyone will want this, not doing any kind of, you know, landscape research or anything. And it's like, no, (laughs) nobody asked for that. toy. Yes.
3: Some people are like that. And usually my module one will fix them and (laughs) make them them see the world as a bigger toy industry. But I've had some people that have gone through module one of surveying the industry and saying, you know, I don't care. I want to make this toy the way I want to make it. And I'm like, all right. I was like, I believe anything can work, but you're going to have to really go into marketing because you're going to have to build your own audience. You're going to have to find your own people because the retailers aren't going to get behind this. They're not ready for it. Right. So If you're up for that, go for it. But do not be surprised (laughs) if you can't sell
2: it. (laughs) You know, I can relate with some people. I always talk about there are different ways that you can go about podcasting, right? One of the hardest ways is to just make a show about something you want to talk about with a name that means something to you that no one else understands. Mm. I mean, you could, you can launch it it's going to be really hard because you're always going to have to explain to people like, hey, this is my podcast. It's called this because it means this. You get it? You get it?
1: <laughs> like,
3: no, we don't I get think it. think about that. We don't I get think- it. I feel like I got so lucky when I came up with the idea for my podcast inspired mm-hmm. by people. I'm sure you teach people to do the research. So it was inspired yes. by research. Yes. But the name my mm-hmm. husband came up with mm. and he was like, I don't know. Why don't you call it making it in the toy industry? And I was like, Oh my God, that's brilliant. Yes. It's so that's straightforward. That's the exact <laughs> kind of title like, that I
2: love. Like, yes. you know exactly what it's yes. about. <laughs> yes.
3: Like, why, do not why come Why must so here. many people
2: fight me on this?
3: I don't know. I, it's SEO. It's yeah, SEO. It's what SEO. are people searching? What That's are people what searching? your podcast name
2: is. And maybe is. they don't <laughs> search that exact phrase, but yeah. the different parts of the phrase are what they're searching for. So anywho. Um, mm-hmm. but, <laughs> all right. right. We're going to transition into the lightning round. But before okay. I do, one last thing. Okay. For real this time. <laughs> Have you ever thought about doing business to business consulting work?
3: Yes. And if anybody listening wants to help me do that, <laughs> yes. I think, well, I think I you
2: should. Yeah. I, and I've I had struggling. a couple of toy store owners on the podcast as well. So oh. I don't even know what it could look like. Again, I'm not in this industry, But I know that B2C is hard, right? Like you you have to, I mean, B2B is hard as well too. But it just feels like, as we talked about, finding those people who want to develop a toy can be hard. Whereas finding a business that's sole purpose is to bring toys to market or, you know, they really need an eye of finding the right creators, you know, being able to say that's going to be a great uh, product or character to license. Like that Uh eye that you have, that knowledge that you have, don't discount it. And like, I I don't know where you go from there, but that's what I'm visualizing for you.
3: I don't know if you were part of Amy's school, but you know, you learn a way to sell. Uh huh. and that way to sell is D to C. Mm-hmm. I don't know the way to sell B to B. Okay. So I think I get very, I do the initial pitch. I do a yeah. follow-up and then I'm like, okay, I guess they don't want it. You
2: know? <laughs> so then that's yeah. like, I don't, yeah. yeah.
3: It, that's where I'm at. So
2: my experience with, B2B is really with getting sponsorships and brand partnerships. When I used to do it, now I have a brand manager, but I used to, you know, go oh. out there and do that, all of that whole cycle of getting sponsors on the show myself. And then of course, um, you know, D2C, like you call it, or B2C. Yeah, going directly to the consumer, directly to like each individual person. I also do with my courses, so I see both ways. And I think that this the world that we're currently in with online marketing made easy, and yeah, um, yeah. a lot of what we see is so hyper focused on that. My recent guest, uh, Kimberly Brown, and I talked about this. It's important to step back sometimes and say, "Hey, is this the right?" move from my business like i know everyone else is doing it right now but it's exhausting it's time consuming and sometimes the revenue sometimes the roi is not what i want it to be so just don't close your eyes to the other opportunities either just because like this is so what's emphasized right now
3: yeah so true i'm gonna look through your podcast see if i can find that episode
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's literally, um, as we're recording this, it's the most recent episode. It's episode three eighty one, I believe. Um, cause I'm losing track of numbers, but I know my (laughs) (laughs) guests. All right. So we're going to jump into the lightning round. You just answered the very first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. All right. Here we go. All right. So what is a resource that has helped you in your business? Not Google. That you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience.
3: Oh my gosh, Amy Porterfield. I'm sorry.
2: Yes, <laughs> Amy Porterfield. Yes, yes.
3: I have to say it. DCA, Digital Course Academy. I mean, I have love to. Love it, love it, yeah. love it.
2: Um, number two, who is a Black woman entrepreneur, non-celebrity who you would want okay. to switch places with for a day and why?
3: Oh, no, I said April Showers, but she is a celebrity. So a Black woman entrepreneur. We can count April. We can. can. No, I have one. April is, well, no, they're all celebrities. Yeah. Okay, let's count April. (laughs) 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 What what exactly about April's path
2: would you want to learn about?
3: She's just so unafraid to be herself. And she somehow finds people to just love that and i struggle with that you know mm. so i just would love to just feel her skin like when she's out there just being april you know yeah. and just yeah i
2: get that um number 3 what is a non-negotiable part of your day
3: oh <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> I was going to say sleep, and then I was going to say coffee, so I guess I should say sleep and coffee. <laughs> you know, as you were
2: getting ready to respond, I felt that coming from you. I felt the energy. I was like, she's going to say sleep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do number love sleep. It's yes,
2: so good. <laughs> you gotta, yeah, you got to let the brain rest and, you know, yeah, simmer and yeah. come up with new, fresh ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, number four, what is a personal trait that has helped you significantly in business?
3: Oh, I think my voice. For sure. Mm -hmm. Why is that? That's unique. Yeah, I think my voice, it's just, it sounds very authoritative and it sounds like a little sexy, but like not in like a raunchy way. Like it sounds like, and it sounds intellectual. Like it just has this nice balance that I think makes people Trust me, especially when they're listening on the podcast. I think my face okay. kind of ruins it. But on the podcast, when they're just listening, I think they're like, oh, yes. You oh, know, the don't stuff. say, you're, is it because your face is youthful, right? I think it's the youth and the blackness. Yeah. I think it's the two. <laughs> Girl, when I first launched my brand, I didn't put my face anywhere. And everybody was <laughs> no, like, I'm supporting my that. brand. And then somebody found out it was me and they were like, oh, I thought this was like a toy industry editorial. It's just a gel. And I was like, wow. Just a gel? Yeah. It's somebody who knows me personally. And yeah. Oh, well, they sound like a hater. Well, I think they're just (laughs) old. (laughs)
2: It's, okay. All right. I'll save my comments. All right. Last question. <laughs> number five. What's your parting advice for fellow side hustlers who want to be their own boss, but are worried about losing a steady
3: paycheck? Oh, okay have a budget, like have a very detailed budget for yourself and for your business. And then know that you're not going to make all the money you want right up front, figure out like the minimum you can make and then Mm -hmm. put yourself on a schedule to give yourself more money every, I don't like three months. That's something I think I should have (laughs) done. Okay. I just like randomly give myself raises, but I'm like, no, I should have had a schedule. Like, yes. Yeah. I
2: like that idea. Schedule. All right. So where can
3: people connect with you and The Toy Coach and your podcast after this episode. Yeah, head over to thetoycoach.com to learn more about me. And you can find links to my podcast there. It's just thetoycoach.com slash podcast. And if you're curious and you just want to see like my past work in the toy industry, I actually have a personal portfolio website, Um, So you could check that out too. All right, guys. So
2: there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And I will talk to you next week. week. Again, that's sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter to sign up. Talk to you soon.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials
3: like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so
1: much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands.